Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week it's a seriously festive TV special in which we'll be reviewing the highlights on the small screen over the Christmas period. We'll be talking about the new BBC adaptations of Little Women and The Miniaturist, The Highway Rat, Season 4 of Black Mirror, Judy Dench, My Passion for Trees and lots, lots more. Hello. Hello. Welcome to a very special festive episode of Seriously. I'm hoping that everyone listening to this is lying in some sort of quality street induced coma, not quite sure (laughs) about what day it is, uh, and just soaking up a lot of festive TV because that's what we're here to help you with today. Because it does sometimes feel overwhelming in the Christmas break, just how much TV there is. It does. And I have to say, I have seen some tweets and Instagram posts of people who, like me, buy the festive issue of the Radio Times Mm. and get their highlighter or their biro out and ring all the Mm. things. I have definitely done this and it really helps. But if you do not have access to the Radio Times because you are not lucky enough to live near somewhere where it's stocked, then yeah, we're going to help you out with what's good and what's maybe not so good over the next few days. I think one thing that we've kind of talked about this year is there are some things missing from the festive Mm. uh, TV lineup. One thing that we've sort of brought up several times on Seriously is that there's no BBC Agatha Christie adaptation this year because of Ed Westwick and the allegations against him. So not a sad loss in terms of not seeing Ed Westwick on on our screens, but in many other cases, it is a sad loss. Yes, that is true. So... Yeah, for the past few Christmases, the BBC have put on a pretty high budget adaptation, often of a lesser known or in some cases not even previously adapted Agatha Christie short story. This year it was supposed to be Ordeal by Innocence. It has been made, but they took the decision to pull it from the schedule because they didn't want to kind of give prominence to an actor that's facing very serious allegations, which is a decision that we very much support. But it is still a little bit sad that there's no Agatha Christie this Christmas because, and this is something we're going to come on to, the whole period drama at Christmas thing is a very well-established 
trend trope. Exactly. And it's funny because there's actually nothing specifically festive about Agatha Christie, is there? Mm, and there no. is with a lot of these things. So last week we did a Jane Austen festive special and there's nothing necessarily specifically festive about Austen. Lots of them have a Christmas scene in them, but that doesn't make them particularly Christmassy. Same goes for all kinds of period stuff that they show every year without fail at Christmas. But there just is something delightful and wintry and festive and kind of family-ish about watching a period mm. drama, especially kind of like an adaptation of a of a famous old novel. I feel like that The Bleak House, the Dickens Bleak House that was on a few years ago came on over Christmas. Like all of those great kind of iconic winter period dramas seem to happen over either Christmas or January if you're if you're feeling particularly out there and edgy but yeah so there are a few of those on this year aren't there even if we don't have the Agatha Christie we do have uh, some other things to choose from yeah so I think the first one we're going to talk about is the BBC have done a new adaptation of Little Women which is not something that lacks for adaptations Mm. in the past there's the uh, quite famous film from the 90s with Claire Danes and Winona Ryder which for me anyway is definitely the kind of iconic little women but yeah so they have put quite a lot of money by the looks of it into this new very very classically set adaptation totally and like you say that 1994 little women is so hard to keep out of your mind when you're thinking about little women adaptations um so Mm. it's quite a challenge really but yeah this is new on this year it's on bbc one and it has maya hawk as Joe March, uh, who's the daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. I didn't even know Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke had a kid, but they do. No, me neither. And she's a teenager, and she's now um, got the lead role in this in this Little Women adaptation. And there are some other more familiar names in it as well. The one I recognised was um, Catherine Newton, who's in Big Little Lies. Yes plays Amy yeah she's great isn't she and we've got Emily Watson who's in so many British things playing you know Mother March Marmy and uh, Michael Gambon who just like comes in to be like any old man in any BBC period drama now it's like his stock role he's Mr Lawrence who's the uncle of Laurie Lawrence if I got that right a great great, great uncle, uncle I think or, or no so I think he's grandfather he's actually a grandfather uh, yeah and then and then also Angela Lansbury plays aunt march Mm -hmm. great aunt of meg joe beth and amy i have to say in common with lots of people brief sidebar i'm having to re-examine my feelings of love towards angela lansbury after her response to the weinstein hashtag me too scandal but that's the subject i know i do sometimes kind of feel bad for these much older women who had to adapt to a very different time and had to kind of decide weird things like sexual assault can sometimes be a woman's fault because that was the kind of the society that they were brought up in being kind of like wheeled out to make comments about Mm. current uh current cultural conversations about sexual assault and so on but yes you're you're absolutely right it is a it was a stupid and annoying comment to make yeah i mean i i both wish that people wouldn't ask her stuff like this but also wish that she would put a tiny bit more effort (laughs) into educating herself but anyway this that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about little women the book was published in 1868 follows this family of four daughters who live is it they live somewhere near boston right in kind of massachusetts america (laughs) 
Um, well, t- but specifically Northern America, because their father is off fighting in the Civil yes. War. So he's like fighting on the side of the North against the yes. South. So they, yeah, they live somewhere in New England. And it's all, you know, very snowy and very lovely. You know, the whole story is just about these four girls slash little women as their father calls them as they sort of navigate their tricky teenage years living with each other and their neighbors boys marriage career ambition all that kind of stuff so i watched the first episode of this we're we're actually recording sort of slightly pre-christmas aren't we caroline so none Mm -hmm. of this has been on telly yet for us but we have managed to get hold of what we can early so I'm we managed to see the first episode of this Little Women adaptation and actually quite a lot of the main action of the novel happens quite early up if this adaptation is structured faithfully according to the book because Mm. we kind of begin right in the middle of Christmas which I can't remember if that happens in the book or whether they've drummed that up for for the no no that is right yeah so that's nice so it sort of watching the family who are you know they're not wealthy right they are struggling for cash a bit they're not they're not nor are they in poverty or anything like that but they are struggling to kind of have a lavish (laughs) christmas so they have one kind of main meal of their day but on christmas day it turns out that a local family who have absolutely nothing are really struggling for food so they donate their christmas breakfast to them and share it all out so there's kind of you start with this very kind of nice heartwarming few scenes um which introduce Mm. you to the different personalities of the four girls they do very well in being every single line is like well amy I would say, because <laughs> you do have yes. to quite quickly get get to grips with who all these quite similar looking sisters are. And we get the introduction of Laurie Lawrence, the neighbour who catches the eye of a few of the March sisters. And yeah, quite a lot happens, I think, because for me, the, the most iconic moments of Little Women are spoilers ahead if you haven't read Little Women, obviously. And if you want to be surprised by the adaptation, um, are the book burning, the hair yep. chopping, the ice yep. ring accident, and then later mm-hmm. the death of Beth. Those are the four yes. main things. And we get three out of four in the in the first episode. Yeah. This adaptation starts on BBC One on Tuesday the twenty sixth of December. And I think there's gonna be three parts in total. But yeah, it does feel very front loaded in terms of plot. So I am interested to see like how they fill out episode two essentially. But yes, it is interesting. So I have not watched the 1994 film for quite a long Mm. time, nor have I read the book. And the two of those moments that you mentioned are linked, the book burning and the ice rink accident, because Amy Burns Joe's novel that she's working on, because she's annoyed with her for not taking her to the theatre, then Amy has an accident while skating and Joe really beats herself up because she didn't let him, you know, keep Amy safe mm-hmm, essentially because she, she was, was so annoyed with her. her yeah. I think probably in common with a lot of people when I watched slash read this when I was younger my sympathies were all with Joe. Mm. I was just like how dare Amy what a-? also because I'm an older sister mm. like how how dare her little sister have so little respect for her creativity mm. and ideas and all this kind of stuff but actually watching it in this adaptation and also there's um there was quite a I can't remember where it was published, but I will find the link and put it in the show notes. There was a piece published in one of these sort of American magazines recently, which was like in defense of Amy March, <laughs> um, which made the ex, and I'm very persuaded that by this, but made the excellent case that Amy actually has quite a shit time in Little Women. And it's not necessarily that surprising 
that she acts out and basically aren't we all amy march in some regard <laughs> that's interesting i haven't read that piece and watching the adaptation i didn't feel much sympathy for mm. amy march so maybe the piece is just a very good very persuasive argument but i do agree with you that joe march is one of those interesting figures in literature where she's kind of designed for a bookish young girl to identify with and yeah. we talked maybe a little bit about this I can't remember what in relation to what, maybe Anne of Green Gables or something. I really, I really can't remember. But we've talked before about how it's kind of like an easy win to like have a, a novel aimed yeah. at women and have this kind of like bookish young well, girl. She's Hermione, yeah. right? She's, I'm not probably using this term quite correctly, but like she's the Mary Sue for the reader in that she's your self insert if you happen to be a bookish young woman yourself reading. Yeah, it. I guess so. And she's creative and she defends her ideals and she's kind of more strong-minded than most women her age and you know all those kinds of like tick 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 for mm. what I felt like me growing up anyway and I think as you get older sometimes sometimes you can resent those characters a little bit more because it's a bit like I don't know if it's if it's a case of it being like hang on isn't this a bit of an easy win or wait actually isn't she a bit self-absorbed and a bit annoying in a way that she <laughs> that you don't realize yes. when you're a teenager yourself because you're like well duh <laughs> so am I so is everyone. And we're expected to make allowances for her because she's creative and has ink all over her hands mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think I'm right in saying that the piece that the argument that this piece makes is that actually in some ways the March family is a very difficult family to grow up in because Amy has these older sisters who are you know, Meg is held up as so pretty and so polite and all this kind of stuff. And then Joe is so creative and out there and all this kind of thing. But the family dynamic is very much about self-examination mm. and are you be are you doing the moral mm. thing and all this kind of stuff. It gets presented, including in this adaptation, as what a warm, loving, wonderful environment to grow up in. But then also how difficult and oppressive that must feel if you're having a bad day mm -hmm. one thing that part of that that this adaptation i think brings out very well that i don't remember being that that prominent in the novel or in the adaptation but again i haven't read or watched either for a long time is beth's kind of mental health and mm. the fact that beth is really really struggling to be a person in the world in the way that her three sisters yeah. are you know her one younger and two older sisters are doing kind of effortlessly like there is beth is set apart from her sisters because the other three even if they're very different in terms of personality they're all pretty like vivacious and pretty confident and and outgoing yeah and so on, definitely yeah. outgoing and keen to socialize and excited by the world and then beth is really really struggling to do what her family see as quite simple tasks and as you say they frame it in this very moralistic way it's not just like oh poor beth she's not getting the most out of her life because she's too nervous to go to work and she spends a lot lot of time indoors with a headache it's more like well beth's not pulling her weight she's not doing her moral duty mm. to the family or to her local society she's not it's considered a kind of moral wrong that she's doing by having these struggles although they are also very sympathetic it's that must be very difficult for beth to have her to have her kind of struggles contextualized in that way because it does feel a bit i don't know paternalistic and patronizing yeah it does because it, she's definitely shown in this adaptation to be exhibiting like all the classic signs of mm. anxiety mm. you know in that she's worried about meeting new people she's worried about going outside she's worried about new social situations and 
yeah, her mother does just kind of say like, you've got to buck up your ideas mm. and get on out and there. And it's more than simple nervousness and mm, it's, it's, very it's, much a real, so. it's a serious mental and and by extension physical condition that she's kind of yeah. suffering from. So it, the, the actor shows it as a physical mm. manifestation, mm. which is anyone who's experienced anxiety knows that that's what it's mm. like. Um, you know, a friend of mine quite recently managed to get a, finally get a diagnosis for anxiety, having spent a year being investigated for heart problems because mm. doctors were convinced he had some kind of like heart murmur. Mm. And it's like, no, he has anxiety. Yeah. Um, you know, these things do have physical pathologies. Yeah, and like she's having the, all these migraines and headaches and mm. the family can't actually really afford all the painkillers that, that would require for her, her to make those go away. So like there's all these extra levels of, of kind of difficulty in her being a woman in that time suffering from this particular type of mm. mental health issue. And I think that's really interesting and something that I feel like they've kind of teased out of the novel a bit, a bit more uh, that, you know, faithful fans of, of little women might get in touch and say, no, it's there. It's there in the text the whole time, but it does feel like they're emphasizing that element in this adaptation, which I like actually. I did as well. And it definitely means that because in other regards, like costumes and setting and so on, it's very lovely and so on, but not distinctly lovely from the 1994 mm, film, if you know mm. what I mean. Ditto most of the performances. Yeah, exactly. I think they're perfectly good, but they are also not like innovating necessarily with the way we've already seen these characters other than with Beth in this regard, um, which is really interesting. And definitely, I also think this benefits from what we were talking about last week with the Emma special, mm. that because this is a multi-part TV mm. serial, it maybe has more space to, for instance, explore matters of mental health than it yeah, would totally. if it were like a hundred minute film. Totally, And it's really hard to compare with... Winona Ryder in as Joe March. Mm. That's such an iconic yeah. performance for me. Um, I think Maya Hawke is very good, um, but there's there's nothing that makes her stand out as as kind of. I feel like that that performance from Winona Ryder was really one of her most iconic performances, and she's just so yeah. kind of sulky and sparky, and there's something really annoying and really interesting about her. And Maya Hawke. Is quite pleasant in this. She is quite pleasant. Also, something I think is so good about the Winona Ryder interpretation is the physicality, mm. because, and I definitely remember this from the book. Joe is constantly being told off for being like angular yeah. and slouchy, and basically not being good at wearing clothes, especially not the sort of like cinched in big skirt mm. styles of mm. the time. And she she's like constantly traipsing around, holding her skirts up around her knees because she just can't be asked. Um, whereas I think Maya Hawke wears the clothes a bit too well. It's always a bit rich in either adaptation, though, hearing the line, Joe, your only beauty, when they go ahead. Yeah, and it's yes. like these absolute supermodel women. And you're like, sure, Jan, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only beauty, my ass. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Speaking of very, very attractive period adaptations, I wanted to quickly mention the BBC's adaptation of The Miniaturist, which I know you haven't seen no, yet, I haven't. but I've seen the first 90 minute part of it. It's quite long. This is an adaptation of Jesse Burton's best selling novel, which is set in Amsterdam in 1686 and follows this young girl called Nella who sort of moves from the country to the city to marry this man called Johannes Branton. So she gets set up in his townhouse with his slightly aloof sister played by Romola Garay, our fave. Mm, yeah, we do love her, don't we? And it's it's meant to be quite a spooky story. I have not read the book, but people have told me that it's it's kind of like a thriller, really, because the reason it's called The Miniaturist is that as a wedding present, Nella's husband gets her this doll's house, which is a perfect replica of his house where she now lives. Right. And he encourages her to... Um, like track down craftsmen in the city to get little objects made for her doll's house and she finds this guy or this person we don't even know who they are listed in a sort of guild thing just as the miniaturist and she writes to him and says I would like you know a miniature loot a miniature this and so these little parcels keep turning up with miniature things and she quickly realizes that they're kind of predicting things okay so she gets sent things that she's hasn't ordered so like um, the little miniature dog appears with blood on his head and then a couple of days later there's a terrible accident and the dog like gets stabbed yeah. in the head, you know. So she, she starts to realise that the miniaturist, whoever they are, is Ooh. somehow controlling them or it's quite Perfect. creepy. But anyway, I can totally imagine myself getting into this plot as a book, but in the adaptation I was mostly just in it for the amazing costumes and the beautiful is setting. it beautiful so beautiful like so many like beautiful women wearing little mob caps and amazing framing of the scenes like lovely bodices everything is so beautiful the plot kind of washed over me I must admit mm, okay fair enough so anyway I think this would be a perfect watch if you like looking at like beautiful fabric and you're feeling a bit blissed out after a lot of roast potatoes yeah interestingly i watched crooked house which is kind of another agatha christie adaptation you know from the mm. agatha christie novel crooked house and it's a weird one because it, it's airing on channel five i think on boxing day and it and it aired earlier in december as well but it's mm. a movie and it was made to have a proper mainstream movie release 
and it hasn't had one in the UK yet and Channel 5 are getting it first which seems really weird to me so bizarre that um, yeah and then I watched it and I think maybe it's because it's just not that good but it is an all-star cast ah. <laughs> <laughs> I know um it is an all-star cast it's got Glenn Close it's got Amanda Abington from Sherlock it's got Christina Hendricks uh it's just like a really nice level of fame to the cast it is sort of beautiful so one of the key parts of crooked house is that it's this big sprawling estate um that all these members of an extended family live in so you have the the patriarch who is the the kind of murdered party and then you've got his three sons and their wives and then his very young wife and you know a great aunt and they've all got like a little bit of the house to themselves and it's all decorated like in in in, t- in tune with their character so they've oh wow yeah okay. so they've had a lot of fun with that and like every single character has like a totally different but very very overdone part of the house that looks like them so christina Hendricks' house is like all pink and sexy and like kitteny and then amanda abington's this kind of weird botanist and it's all very mid-century sort of do I mean mid-century? I mean, it looks very mid-century, but that would probably be anachronistic. But it does look like it that. It could well be, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Um, but it kind of, it's a bit weird because I think sometimes these movie versions of Agatha Christie struggle a bit with the pacing and how to get the twists and turns right and stuff. And for me, this definitely struggled with that. Like every scene was just like really weirdly paced and there were so many characters you never really got to know any of them it was just like a big sprawling Mm. game of cluedo which i think sometimes isn't very fun because it's just like wait hang on i have no understanding of any of the motives of any of these people because they're all just being gestured to as potential subjects rather than being like investigated in any interesting way so it kind of fell apart for me but seeing as there is no agatha christie on bbc one if you can set a little record on Boxing Day for Channel 5, you will get your fill, but it, it is very mm. long <laughs> and it is very weird. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I think that's sort of it for in terms of period stuff on the BBC this year. I mean, there'll be the Call the Midwife Christmas special as usual, but other than that... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so make sure you're tuning in, listeners, because that's, that's your lot. <laughs> In other festive fare, there are two brilliant but weird things on the BBC (laughs) this year. On Wednesday the 20th of December, so it will have been on last week by the time listeners are hearing this, BBC One are airing Judy Dench colon My Passion for Trees, which when I read about this in <laughs> on the BBC Media Centre, as I do as a culture journalist, I actually could not believe it was real because it's just such a funny kind of concept for a show and we always on seriously joke about how the bbc seemed to have this like formula for like very british uh national figure does very very twee countryside thing yeah <laughs> like penelope keith's hidden villages and i don't know it does isn't there like mary berry's oh well the canal the boats Mar- Mary Berry goes to stately homes is her current thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like someone does canal boats. There's Michael Portillo's railways. There's yeah. all sorts of them. They've also got one called like champagne tasting with Ab Fab, something like that. Yes, that's on this Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Joanna Lumley 
and Jennifer Saunders. It's a whole genre. Um, I'm just like waiting for them to get weirder and weirder but this is a great one so yeah judy dench colon my passion for trees and i'm just i have to read to you from the (laughs) from the description because it is that good oscar winning dame judy dench is one of britain's best love actresses but few people know that judy holds another great passion a deep love for trees <laughs> and yeah that is literally the concept judy dench has a six acre garden with loads of fucking trees in it and she wants to learn more about trees and this is an hour-long program where judy dench like touches some bark and is like "Ooh, i love this tree <laughs> <laughs> and there's a great bit as well where like a man with a lot of sort of gizmos helps her listen to the tree yeah she has an ear trumpet pressed to the trunk of a large i don't even know what it is it's not an oak that's something some tree but yeah this is a gorgeous program i really enjoyed it yeah so did i i like wanted to blog about this for work because i was like this will be funny and there will be loads of innuendos in it where judy dench is like oh girth and oh listeners there is plenty of that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, l- I love her like talking about inches girth and like her love mm-hmm. for trees but it is also like weirdly moving i wasn't yeah, expecting to be moved but i was it really is and it's very kind of it's not sad at all but it is sort of like you know woman nearer to the end of her life than the start find solace in the outdoors totally um, and it is yeah. it is kind of sad but in a way that I was like, oh, lol, I'm going to laugh at this old woman and her obsession with treats. And I came away from it like, oh, God, this woman is wise and has learned to accept mm. death in a way that <laughs> I never will and never can. Because basically it, the, the program starts with her like wandering around her garden and she's like, ah, this is Stephen Leslie and points to a literal tree. And you're like, OK, yep. you've got full human names for your trees, like first <laughs> names and surnames. And then she's like, oh, this is Ian Richardson this is Natasha Richardson no relation and you're like hang on Natasha Richardson and suddenly you're like wait 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 some, this is, these are these are trees named after people and she's like yeah I I name every time someone really important to me dies I plant a tree for them and then like care for that tree over many years and you're like oh my god that's a really beautiful thing to do mm. that's amazing and she's got this whole network of people in her life just like out there in her garden for her to like go and like think about and talk to every day including her late husband she's got a a tree that was planted before he died but a tree that's now kind of in honor of her husband who's been dead for 16 years um called michael williams the actor and you're just i don't know i was just found it really amazing and it, it changes the whole kind of tone of the program really because when she's very keen to find out for example if different species of tree communicate with each other yeah it kind of has an added layer of of emotion to it because you're like oh yeah it would actually mean something to her if all the trees in her garden were kind of communicating in some sort of way and she knew that they had a system of life that was going on beyond their human lives and beyond her own human life i don't know it's really kind of amazing to think about yeah it is fascinating and i kind of take my hat off to whoever at the bbc commissioned this Mm. because it is bonkers and it is not it is. it's totally it is bonkers. not like michael portillo's railway journeys no you know it is as you say it has broader points to make about mortality and stuff which you know like man in red trousers takes train to prague does not have yeah um exactly so yeah i definitely recommend this as like a kind of little quiet moment in your christmas viewing yeah also if you want to see judy dench 
become moved by a 16th century knit comb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this program oh, yeah, that's literally really has it all. She like literally they find her a knit comb made out of some really, really old wood complete with like dead knits still in there. And she's mm-hmm. like gasping with absolute adoration. And you're like, this is gross. But she loves it. <laughs> she just can't get enough. She cannot get enough of trees. It's amazing. <laughs> So, not at all like Judy Dench, my passion for trees, but similarly cheering and warming of the heart is the BBC's adaptation of Highway Rat, which is another Julia Donaldson book. This has also become a bit of a Christmas tradition, hasn't it, that they they do a Julia Donaldson every year. Totally. They did the Gruffalo, then they did the Gruffalo's Stick Child, Man. then they did Stick Man. I think, did they do Room on a Broom last year? I don't even know. I wasn't I even remember. engaging. But then this year they've gone for The Highway Rat, which is kind of a weird one in the Julia Donaldson canon because it's a parody of The Highwayman, which is a mm. famous poem that I feel like almost everyone in Britain did at school at some point. Uh, like primary the moon was school. a ghostly galleon tossed on cloudy seas. Oh like, my God. I could nerd, literally recite it. Nerd alert, nerd alert. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's it's kind of a weird one because you're like, why was she, Why I just can't imagine Julia Donaldson sat there like, I really want to remake The Highwayman, but hear me out, guys, he's a rat. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... I kind of love her for that, actually. Yeah, but for me, one thing that really stood out to me about this adaptation, which has... I think David Tennant is the mm-hmm. is the titular highwayrat, and um, Rob Brydon, love of my life, Rob Brydon is the narrator, and also spoiler alert, later revealed to be the horse. <laughs> the horse at the end is like, and that was the tale of the highway rat, and you're like, wait, it was the horse all along. It was just, it's just really weird. Um, <laughs> But yeah, one thing that really struck me about this is how much the rat is shamed for enjoying his food, which is not a message I want to receive on Christmas Day. No way, no how. Thank you, sir. Because although he steals food, which is like arguably morally bad, there there is a lot of lines in this. He does like eating. Yeah, there's a lot of lines in this about like how he's fat and gross. And you're like, "Mm, no, allow, allow the rat his food. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I I enjoyed the highway rat, but I also didn't want to feel guilty about eating my quality street at 4 p.m. on Christmas Day, like 4.45 on Christmas Day, this airs. That's like prime eating and like belly patting time. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I really don't need to see like a rat kind of like belching and then all these like starving other animals being like, ooh, the highway rat. He's so fat and selfish and greedy just wasn't a message i was up for and then at the end he like loses loads of weight and becomes this like weird humble meek disgusting little guy i liked the kind of like anti-hero who was like running around Mm. stealing people's carrots because at least he was bold and charismatic and had a proud you know gouty form but (laughs) (laughs) this kind of like little skinny meek guy at the end not a fan absolutely not a fan no definitely not and as you say not a good message for christmas day or any time really but uh, I've, I've seen like the first half of it and I did find it very charming it is very charming and I do love Rob Brighton and I always think the animation in these is really really brilliant really good yeah, yeah. All, all joking aside it's kind of like set apart from other kids stuff on Christmas day because there's just something really like prestige about it I don't know if they spend a lot of money on them but it looks like mm. they do um, and they always get like really really good British voice actors to do it which is always really fun and I'm really glad that they've made one this year without James Corden because he's absolutely bloody yes. everywhere in every animated thing of all time lest we forget yeah, his crimes in the Emoji movie earlier this year 
and also just brief look ahead for next year i just watched the oceans 8 trailer and was really 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 enjoying it up until the point where james corden appeared oh is he in it oh yes for god's sake he's peter rabbit coming to no. cinemas soon and it, it looks really unacceptable awful. so i mean i have a soft spot for james corden always will because of gavin and stacy and his friendship yeah. with harry styles but come on mate just overexposure it's back a thing. off yeah it's a thing. <laughs> So we're going to round out the podcast by uh, positing a little look ahead to things that we're going to be talking about in the new year. One thing we're definitely going to be talking about is McMafia, which comes out on New Year's Day, starring our very own Grant Chester. <laughs> I was going to say Gr- the hot vicar. I know. I was going to say Grant Chester's very own, then, but that ruins our joke, which is that he's not from Grant Chester, but he is called Grant Chester, which is <laughs> yes, our favourite joke. Yeah, so that's meant to be the equivalent of the Tom Hiddleston Hugh Laurie starring the Night Manager that was on last year, and it's just like basically hot james norton is hot spy seemingly yeah or like hot confused spy hot didn't know that he was connected to spy's spy and it also has um i think i read in the press release for this as well that it's like a kind of international co-production it has like a it's got a heavy like russia subplot but also is being aired in like other other european countries have sort of contributed to it and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's sort of a bit I think it's got a like nod to the kind of European crime movement with things like Spiral from France and that kind of right, thing. Right, exactly. Some other things I'm looking forward to discussing next year. Second season of Search Party, which is, yeah. is already all on 4OD. So I hope that over the Christmas break, seriously, listeners really binge through that because it's amazing. I absolutely loved it. There are quite a few things returning actually in that vein in January, like The Good Place comes back mm. the rest of its second season and i'm looking forward to the the second season of this country as well and there's all all kinds of things popping up but one thing we thought we'd talk about in a little bit more detail is black mirror which reappears on netflix on the 29th of december so it's really just there for the tail end of your christmas break in early january isn't it it is yeah and it it's dropping at pretty much the same time as it did last year and mm. we were commenting that there's an interesting kind of cultural effect with black mirror i think because it doesn't have like a central series narrative it is a anthology show each episode explores a completely different set of characters mm-hmm. and scenario and technology that I don't think people binge it in the way that they do with stuff where they want to know what happens. Yeah. So often it's like the second or third week of January before the conversation around Black Mirror really blows up because it takes that long for everyone to have seen whatever episode it is that's going to really prompt all the think pieces. Exactly. And it just it's not like a series with cliffhanger endings where you really have to no. just motor on through it. But also I feel like there's... You know, there's no set order that you have to watch these in. And I saw Charlie Brooker kind of tweeting, uh, Charlie Brooker, who's obviously the main creator of Black Mirror, um, tweeting about how they had spent ages trying to decide what order to release mm. them in, but that it didn't really matter and you could watch whichever, you know, watch them whenever the fuck you want kind of thing. Um, so I think sometimes it takes a little while for the the key hitter to emerge because I feel like yeah. last year everyone talked up loads about nosedive which was the first one which was this pink pastel um, the instagram one instagrammy one but actually after a few weeks san junipero the kind of yeah more more positive 
kind of rare the rare positive one i think almost the only positive one in the three yeah. three seasons of black mirror or i know that's debatable some people might see it as quite a tragic story but i think for a lot of people it was quite hopeful um that that gay love story really emerged as the most popular and most kind of zeitgeisty and most conversation sparking episode of black mirror but it took a little while for it to become obviously that one and it's interesting mm. to me that the new series of black mirror which is has six episodes as you say all separate but that the the overwhelming kind of response that i've heard to it so far and this is again we're talking before the release date so who knows what will happen when it actually comes out but from from critics in their preview discussions is that this is a more generally optimistic series and a mm. less kind of I feel like Black Mirror was getting towards self-parody where lots of people were like, oh, Black Mirror, what if phones, but too much, you know? Yes. People were saying yeah. that all the time and how it was kind of a bit a bit Banksy, maybe. Yeah, I definitely think from the trailer, and so you've watched this, I haven't managed to watch it yet, but from the trailers and from the stuff I've read, I definitely think they've reined it in a bit and they've done that quite rightly by refocusing it on very specific aspects of technology because mm -hmm. i think that was always when black mirror was the best mm -hmm. when rather than as you say being like what if phones but too much they were like but what if this specific granular thing yeah but for everywhere and sometimes like i felt like the twitter episode that was all about like people getting abuse on twitter yes and it's then such getting, an unrelatable like, murdered, yeah. phenomenon and it's when people talk about technology in that way it's always so problematic for me because it's actually like three people who are like verified and have fifty thousand followers mm. on twitter who are talking about something very niche whereas i hope this series of black mirror kind of pulls away from that so i've only watched one of them so far but that was hang the dj which i specifically picked because i thought it looked a little less intense than some of the others yeah so this is am i right in thinking this is based around dating yes this is the intersection of technology and dating yes so as with many black mirror episodes there's not actually that much kind of, you're not given that much context up front. Like there's no one comes in to sort of say, and here we are in the year, blah, 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 where mm. this dystopian world sees, you know, it's just, you're just kind of introduced to these characters and you kind of have to make sense of it as you go on your own. And these two people are in something only referred to as the system. It stars Georgina Campbell and Joe Cole as the lead couple and they're introduced first on their first date. So Joe Cole, you might recognize from Peaky Blinders and Georgina Campbell, you might recognize from Broadchurch season three, I think, the one where her dad is Lenny Henry. They meet as kind of new people in, quote, the system. It's their first ever date in the system. It kind of looks a bit like a first date set up where they're in this very nice restaurant but they have this kind of circular device. It's almost a bit like a smartphone that tells them where to go, tells them who their date is. They sit down and then they start chatting. And one thing they can find out straight away or they can choose not to find out about is the expiration date on their relationship. So they've been assigned an amount of time to spend together. It could be mm. a matter of hours. It could be a matter of years. And all of that is supposedly a way of learning about the participants so that the system can eventually assign them their absolute perfect match where they'll live you know in perfect soulmate happiness forevermore these two characters meet and they've got 12 hours and so you watch them have this very very lovely but very very short fling 
but they really have amazing chemistry and while I was watching it I just felt like I hadn't seen people with such great and relatable chemistry on tv in such a long time and there's something very British about the way they flirt and everything so there's a lot of kind of like oh fuck off like Mm. it's very it's very um teasing and very kind of dry and they're just quite like mean to each other the whole time but in a way that's very flirty and very sexual and they just work as a couple and I really really bought it (laughs) like totally bought it way more and it made me think like actually we watch so many like American tv dramas where they're like Stranger Things for example no one has any chemistry in Stranger Things at all and we just accept it like that's just like like tv couples are just like that even something like game of thrones no one really has any proper chemistry no and in this it was just really nice to see to see a relationship that you could actually genuinely buy as happening um i could give a lot of spoilers about this i don't know how much detail to go into but there's a kind of twist ending right at the end that is very very lazy if you read it on paper so don't i'm gonna i just want to talk about that a little bit so don't don't watch any longer if you don't want to be spoiled but the setup is that the two lead characters are not assigned each other as soulmates even though they clearly want to be with each other and they've been given all these other horrible partners and they hate it and they're like shall we just escape and there are all these things that suggest that this world is like not as it seems and there are all these men everywhere with tasers that you think are going to kill them if they try and escape but nevertheless they try and escape and it's revealed that the world that they live in is a total simulation and they escape and they're the 998th version of themselves to go through that process and ah. and escape the simulation. And then it kind of like zooms out and it means that they're a 99.8% match. And this is actually simulations of people inside a dating app is what you're looking at. And so then you're ah. in a pub and the Smiths panic is playing and the characters in different dress in a different time look at each other in a bar as they approach each other for the first time. And it says 99.8% match on both of their smartphones. So it's kind of a weird, like, and it was a simulation all along, kind of annoying twist. And also a a bit the good place as well. It is a bit the good place. And I don't know, a bit Alice in Wonderland, it was all a dream, a bit Mm. anything. But so they were actually just in a dating app all along and they're not real people. But then it's weirdly, I I don't know if I was just a bit tired and emotional. (laughs) (laughs) I was really moved because... The implication is not like, oh, and now they're just going to have a disposable relationship and never see each other again. It was like, actually, these people are really, really right for each other. And now they're going to meet each other for the first time. And it's really, really exciting. And look what the opportunities of this dating app have given them. So even though it was really a very kind of lazy trick in the writing, I did kind of like it because I found it so optimistic. And so like Mm. maybe dating apps will be able to point us towards someone who is the perfect partner. But at the same time it kind of told that story in a way that made it seem like matching with someone on Tinder is actually a way to fuck the system because they keep saying like, fuck the system in the show. And these two people are trying to escape the system and they don't want to be matched with someone who's just like on paper, perfect for them. So it's this weird, like simultaneous rejection and propaganda Mm. for the idea of being matched with someone on paper. And I don't know, there was something I quite liked about it because I think if you're in a relationship that you think is really good, I'm sure there are lots of things that you can sit down and point out about it that maybe don't seem great on paper, but you do it anyway because you're in love and you think it's great. Mm. 
And I think that was the feeling that I got when I watched this of like, oh yeah, we might not be perfect for each other on paper, but we're going to fuck it. We're going to do it anyway. And I really liked that. I thought it was really like, I don't know, romantic and cool. And I'm such a cynic that I never think anything is romantic and cool, but this I did. And I don't really know why. And maybe people are going to trash it when it actually comes out and I'm going to be in the minority, but I really liked it. Well, that does sound interesting that he's kind of putting those two forces up against each other. Mm saying like yeah the idea that an algorithm can predict true love but also can it you know yeah, <laughs> um, it's weird because it's they exist kind of they're kind of contradictory ideas existing happily mm. at the same time in this program so that's weird but i did really like it so you'll have to watch well, it and tell me what you think i will have to watch it and see yeah but it does sound already like black mirror and charlie brooker's like unique ability to like create things that fuck with people's heads mm. is still bang on trend mm. and shout out to jesse cave who's in hang the dj for about five mm. seconds but just brilliantly as she always is with her weird cameos that we see her doing stuff she's always so good so yeah i really enjoyed it Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.